Welcome to the Why It Works podcast. I'm Joe Kwan, your host. Together, we'll pull back the curtain to reveal the hidden principles behind why things work. Things work for a reason. Let's find out why. Something a little different today. My good friend and colleague, Sarah Elkins, has an exciting development to share. Here she is to explain in her own voice. Details will be provided in the show notes. Your stories don't define you, but how you tell them will. Hi, I'm Sarah Elkins, and my book is now available for pre-order. Relationships are the key to happiness and satisfaction in life, and communication is the key to healthy relationships. Storytelling can have a huge impact on all aspects of communication and relationships. Whether you're telling business stories or personal stories, how you tell them makes a difference in how you remember them and your internal messages and in how you're being perceived by the people around you. As you read through this book, you'll have prompts that will help you identify the pivot points in your life that helped shape who you are and how you see yourself in this world. I'm a communication coach a keynote speaker, and a professional musician. And I've been hosting a podcast for almost two years. And in that time, I've interviewed people from all over the world. The one thing that I found that they all have in common is that they rarely know what their pivot points were, those points in their life that shaped them and shaped who they are and how they think about the world around them. I'd love to help you find your stories and I look forward to your support. Thank you. Here with us today is Marianne Kerr, Chief Happiness Officer and Principal Consultant with The Medalist Group, an organizational development and philanthropic firm with the mission to create well-led, kinder, collaborative, and inclusive workplaces. With over 30 years in the philanthropic sector, Marianne has served local, provincial, and national organizations in executive leadership as well as senior philanthropic positions. She currently sits as past chair of the board of directors, Gilda's Club Greater Toronto, and is a member on the board of directors for Next Gen Men. We speak to Marianne from her home in Toronto. Welcome, Marianne, to the Why It Works podcast, and thank you for being here. Well, thank you for having me, Joe. As I was looking over your bio that you sent me, uh, one interesting fun fact that I saw is you are a member of the board of directors for Next Gen Men, and that really caught my eye. Uh, in the last couple of years, I've been a task force member for the KPMG Network of Women, and it's really been a tremendous experience for me. So I was just curious, how did you end up on the board for Next Gen Men, and what has your experience been like? Oh, uh, well, I love Next Gen Men. It's uh, an organization that is looking at uh, how to discuss more with young people, uh, young men, young boys, about um, healthy masculinity. And the executive director approached me because I'd done a lot of work in uh, women's philanthropy and asked if I would join. And it's been an, a, a, you know, really a tremendous experience because um, 
I'm an old timer on the board compared to, to everybody else. Uh, so I've been in the sector, the charitable sector, a long time. And this is a startup with really young, energetic, super smart people. So I'm, I, you know, I think they thought I was going to help them. But the truth is, I'm learning uh, just as much from them as I, as I hope I'm able to, to impart. So it, it's been a fantastic experience. I just love it. Well, it's funny how that happens, right? It's it's really a two-way connection. You know, you you contribute, but you also get so much back in terms of learning and. Yeah, no question about that. So, is there um is there a particular demographic that they cover, or is it really across all ages? Yeah, it is across all ages, but they're really focused on uh, boys in kind of grades seven and eight, so mi- middle school aged boys. Right. Yeah, and then they also have programs for men and, and uh, older men and so on. So they, they covered the gamut. We do corporate programs as well. Um, but but I think the one that really kind of tweaked for me, the one that got me most uh, engaged initially was, was thinking about boys, you know, when they're 12 or 13 years old. And you know, the things that they're learning about what it is to be a boy and a man, yes. right? Right. I mean, because I've, I've always worked in the women's sector and I know a lot about, about feminism and I know, you know, I have girls at home and I've always looked at it from that perspective, but I haven't thought a lot about what it meant to be raised as a boy or to be, mm-hmm. to be a young man in, in today's society. And, and I think it must be pretty confusing. I think that's phenomenal. Thank you. So let's get to know you a little bit better. Tell us what you do, but explain it as if you're talking to a five-year-old. <laughs> okay. Um, I think, well, I guess what I would say to a five-year-old is um, I would ask them if, if their mother or their father or goes to work. And if they said yes, then I would want to tell that five-year-old that my job is to make sure that at the end of the workday, when mom and dad come home, they have really good stories to tell about a positive day that they've had. So that's what I would tell a five-year-old, that I, I'm, trying to, um, I'm trying to help to make sure that their parent their, uh, is, is, uh, is having a good day. That's I love I that. <laughs> I love that. So it's, it's the experience, right? It's all about giving people the best experience. We spend most of our time at work. Yeah. We want it to be a positive experience. Yeah, and you, you see how I automatically went to uh, a mom and a dad because, you know, that, that's telling about who I am and how I was raised. But, of course, that isn't the way I think on a broader basis. Sure. Uh, yeah, but, but for sure, you know, even that, talking about um, workplaces that are, that are inclusive, right, and don't, don't yeah. just look like what I'm used to them look like. Look like. Can I say that right? You know what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. That's so great. So I'm so happy you're here today to talk about the topic of workplace culture. And let me tell you why. I've really enjoyed getting to know you a little bit through LinkedIn and see some of your posts and and what you write about. And one thing that caught my eye is you have stated as part of your mission to create well-led, kinder, collaborative, and inclusive workplaces. This should sound familiar because I'm repeating exactly (laughs) verbatim, verbatim from your mission statement. Now, most people would argue that this is a good thing, and almost nobody would say, no, 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 I don't want a kinder, you know, more inclusive, you know, collaborative workspace. That said, companies are really struggling with this, and 
you know, your role doesn't exist if this isn't a challenge for, for a lot of companies, small, medium, large. Can you tell us a little bit about some of the challenges or barriers to making this a reality? Sure. I mean, I, I think what I notice working with the clients is that, you know, we, we use those words a lot. We talk about respectful workplaces and inclusive workplaces and kind workplaces, but they tend to be just words. And so, you know, some of the challenge I, challenges I personally faced have been, you know, working places where I believed I was coming into a culture that embraced all of those words in actions and behaviors, but the reality uh, is that, that that wasn't the case at all. And so I, I think that is a, a prevalent uh, approach in most, in most organizations. There isn't a lot of work being done to explain, you know, what does respectful mean? For me, um, I would find it disrespectful, Joe, if you were to yell at me. <laughs> you know, okay. I would find, right? So yeah. Please don't yell at me. But, um, but for, for someone else in some other organization, that wouldn't be disrespectful. That's a way work is done here. It's an acceptable norm. Uh, and, and it's all about energy and passion. So it might be an okay thing. But if you don't talk about that and you don't um, really get down to the nitty gritty of what is the behavior that expresses the values that we're, we're talking about embracing, um, then, then, then you end up with, a, with cultures that are not what, uh, what people believe they're buying into. It seems like such a, like, like many things in life, it seems so simple and fundamental, but it's very complicated, right? To actually get there is not easy. It is. It is well, it, it's, it's less that it's complicated, but, but it's time consuming and it ah. requires attention and it requires consistent attention. So what you generally see, I'm, I'm sure you've been lots of places where there are like, you'll have a team building day or two days in the course of a year. Uh, and, and then that's, you know, we check off the box that we've done team building or, um, you know, we might have a day where we, we all go out and play baseball together or we have a holiday party. And these are sort of check boxes around culture. This is what people think, oh, that's all we really need to do, right? Um, but it's, it's a little bit more intense than that. And it requires us to be uh, vigilant about it, always looking at it, right? So if we say, again, respect is one of those words that is used so often when people say, yeah, that's our culture, our, our, our culture is respectful. Um, but then, you know, we, we throw parties or we, we do things where we, where we are not in any way inclusive of other cultures or we're not inclusive of, um, you know, men and women and other genders and we're not, you know, all of that kind of thing doesn't happen. Well, that, well, how is that then a respectful workplace? So it, it takes time and attention and it takes, um, I, I would say, being open to not knowing, right? Being open to not knowing. What don't I know? I, I, what don't I know that I need to understand in order to create those kinds of work environments? So, you know, one of the things that's really interesting about what you're saying there is that checklist, right? Like that whole people get a little bit um, upset when they think a company's doing a check the box type exercise, right? Right. Yeah. And you would never do that on a one-on-one -on -one situation, right? Like if I want to be your friend and I want to show you respect, I wouldn't take out a checklist and say, oh, have I invited Marianne to lunch? Have I had a conversation with her in the, in, in the last week? So it's kind of interesting to me. And I understand why you need metrics and you need to set up programs. But to your point, it's so much deeper than the 
things you're doing. It's, it's, it's much more than that. It, it is. And I, you know, that's such an interesting, I've never thought about it in terms of just, uh, as you said, someone who is my friend. I, I don't have to go through a checklist because I understand what it means to be a good friend, right? Mm-hmm. I understand mm-hmm. what it means to be a good friend. I think we forget a lot of that when we're in the workplace. Mm-hmm. Right? We, we stop thinking about, uh, we think about the work that needs to be done, but not necessarily the relationships that we need to manage and able to, in order to get that work done and get it done in a kind, respectful and collaborative way. So it, and then it all comes down to relationship in the end. Oh, the humanity. <laughs> All right, so let's take a look at our first video, which has to do with an interesting approach to incentives. There's lots of stuff. John Irving, Collected Works, 22 points. Or you can pool your points and redeem 55 for this maternity shirt. <clears throat> How about you want us to work harder, pay us more? I can't. This point system is really insulting. Ooh. Well, I didn't mean to offend you, and I hope you'll forgive me because I am very, very sorry. 16 points. It's a tablecloth. What if we went all the way up to 500 points? Yeah, it's a crazy amount of points. But what if? Well, what do you want? I don't know. For such a crazy number, I'd like something pretty crazy. (laughs) All right, for 500 points, I will wear a dress to work. (laughs) (laughs) That's pretty good. What about uh, for... A thousand points. I'll run naked through the parking lot with a donut on my (laughs) ding-dong. Yeah, you like that? All right, for 5,000 points, I will let you tattoo whatever you want on the stern of the old SS Bernard. All right. All right, and you are totally serious. Swear to God, hope to die. Now let's get to work. Wait, but you did say we could pool our points, right? In that case, let's get to work. Yeah! Yeah. I can have a tea by the beginning of next week. All right, thank you very much. Uh, Phyllis, Bracken, Otto. Ask for Donald, Karen's bananas. Okay. I just want you to benefit from our report. Teabag bone. Andrew. Hold on one second. Have you noticed a little bit of a mood shift around here? No, I haven't noticed anything. Really, because I sat next to Stanley for years, and... <laughs> This is nap time. Open eye nap time. He balances the phone on his shoulder and just powers down. Now look at him. You got to unleash the power of the pyramid. I don't know what to tell you, man. I can send you some email confirmation. You think it has something to do with that incentive program? Oh, 100%. We all want to see you tattoo your ass. I think people thought I was kidding when I said that. No, you definitely weren't kidding. And that came across loud and clear. Oh, by the way, I want to hand this in. 120 points. Yeah, it's a big sale. Don't worry about it, though. I don't really care about the points. I would like a point receipt, though. Hey, yes, this is Jim Halper calling for Donald. Can you hold on for one second? Thank you very much. Who talked to Maggie at Kaufman's? Yes, <laughs> Took him one day. Okay, keep in mind, it's not too late to choose another prize. And there are some great new additions. My car (laughs) for a thousand points or best offer. What else you got? Oh, and then this was Phyllis's idea. So, Marianne, what do you see going on here? (laughs) 
I, I like this. I might have been one of the only people on the planet that didn't watch this particular program uh, ever but until I'd <laughs> seen this clip. But but I loved it. Um, you know, I, what I thought was fantastic about this was just how the manager in, in the situation had no idea how to incentivize this team. They didn't mm. understand who they were uh, as people at all. Um, but someone within the team was very clearly uh, a leader uh, and understood those that he worked with quite well. So was was able to to pull out of this terrible incentive program a gem uh, that that brought them all together. And the idea of you know them not earning something as individuals, but earning as a team. I mean, this is the basis of a great program, in fact, right? If you have people working together as a team, what they're going to do is they're, they are, your success is my success. Your failure is my failure, right? So we, we, that, that's what team building is all about. So I thought it was a beautiful uh, expression of that uh, in, in a very, very funny kind of way, but I, I, I really loved it. <laughs> well, what I find so interesting about what you're saying is the manager doesn't know, but it doesn't mean that it doesn't exist, right? Like, like that power or that incentive is, is in there waiting to be unleashed, but it, it takes an awareness, a skill. I don't, I don't know. What are, what are some things that uh, can sort of help people access that, right? Because the managers, obviously, they don't want the people who work for them to perform poorly. Right. And, and, you know, I think what's interesting is that they, they know he's under his own kind of pressure to, to achieve some numbers and, and you know, that he, he's just passing that pressure down uh, to this team. So, so, you know, I think people recognize that um, in spite of the fact that it's clear they don't really love this fellow who is, who is managing them, right? And, and, and it's understandable uh, in a whole bunch of ways and clear, clearly demonstrated by the prizes that he had on the table. Um, but I think if he, if he had spent time one-on-one with people, um, he obviously recognized that one of the staff uh, used to nap at a certain time of day every day, but he didn't seem to understand that this group of people uh, would love to see him tattoo his behind. And, and you know, I mean, that's a... That, that's a <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why he wouldn't have known that, but he, he could clearly have incentivized in a whole other way and had it be successful. What he failed to understand, that the most critical thing that he didn't understand was how much these, these folks were prepared to, to do in order to um, come together as a team and, and, and see this happen, right? And I, and I think while it's funny, the incentive that is, is there at the end of the day, right. There are lots of, it, 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 it's, it's, it's neither here nor there. What was really important was just the very simple act of saying, we can pool our points. Mm-hmm. And every, everybody bought into that right, mm-hmm. right away. We can mm-hmm. pool our points. And he could have started there. He could have not, at, and let's just have one big prize. Organizations do things like pizza parties and, and that mm-hmm. sort of thing. And, and that can be great. People say, yeah, you know what, or we're all going to get next Friday afternoon off if we can get to, to whatever the number is or to achieve whatever the goal is. So it, it's group incentive is a, is a huge uh, and positive approach and it builds that kind of collaborative culture as well, rather than a dog eat dog culture where I need to meet my numbers and I don't care what I do and who I do it to in order to get to my numbers because my numbers mean success of me and that's all that matters. Yeah. What I love about what you're saying here, Marianne is, you know, the essence of the leadership, it's not 
specifically pooling points, right? Like that's in this particular scenario, but it's the ability of that one uh, employee to understand that this is the thing that's going to bring everyone together. That's like the art of leadership. And that's why just by giving someone a title, it doesn't make them a leader because they may not have the ability to see. <laughs> they walk right into a tattoo. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. It was beautiful. And, you know, maybe I'm at a disadvantage not to know the players watching that scene, but not really because you know right away that fellow was sitting back and listening and paying attention to the people that he clearly knew quite well and he knew what would get them going. And he right. knew they would be willing to come together. And that's critical. Great. Let's take a look at another scenario, which uh, has to do with secrets and, and can be a little <laughs> bit toxic, depending on how it's handled. More bad news? You came here to drown your sorrows. I'm not really much of a drinker. No, I just wanted to say... I'm pulling the trigger on Doug Phillips as new head of account services. Oh, good. Well done. What? I have to bring this up to you. Only because I believe that if I kept it from you, in the end it would be damaging to Sterling Cooper. It has come to my attention, completely by accident, that Donald Draper here is not who he says he is. His real name is Dick Whitman. But Dick Whitman died in Korea ten years ago. It stands to reason that he is a deserter at the very least, and who knows what else. Mr. Cooper, he's a fraud and a liar, a criminal even. Even if this were true, who cares? This country was built and run by men with worse stories than whatever you've imagined here. I'm not imagining anything. The Japanese have a saying, a man is whatever room he is in. And right now, Donald Draper is in this room. I assure you, there's more profit in forgetting this. I'd put your energy into bringing in accounts. Darren, fire him if you want. But I'd keep an eye on him. One never knows how loyalty is born. So, Marianne, what did you think of that scene? I am. I, I find myself uh, watching that and being conflicted on so many levels. 
<laughs> so many levels. You know, on the on the one hand, you know, I, I look at that and I say, um, the truth of the matter is we know that Campbell came in to 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 tell on Don Draper, mm-hmm. not not for the better of the company. No. Right? right. It it had nothing to do with, with doing the right thing for, for the company. And I think I think if it had, I would have seen it in a totally different light. But mm-hmm. the, the truth is that 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 scene is all about loyalty, and I love the loyalty uh, that is shown to Don. Um, I think that you know, in spite of the fact that that his character's moral compass is completely out of whack, mm-hmm. what he is providing to that business is all that business cares about. Mm-hmm. And 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 it and it it bothers me. The reason I'm I'm so conflicted about it mm-hmm. is that is that you know I I've worked at my most of my career in the social profit sector, and when you run into difficulty and things aren't going well, you very often hear people say, "Well, why didn't you go to the board? Why didn't you talk to the board? Why didn't you tell someone?" Um, and and the truth of the matter is that for the most part, anyone I know who has done that ends up with a very similar scenario, which is, you know, the speech that Campbell was given. (laughs) (laughs) So, so uh, yeah, that, that would be, that would be my reaction. Yeah. What you're saying is so fascinating to me because there's the loyalty that's going on and there's also like the values, right? Like you mentioned, like the, you know, the values and, and what he's bringing and how do you, how do you balance those, right? Because yeah. because it's a business, so there's certain values that the business has, but then you know there's also the loyalty that we have to coworkers and to human beings. And I think the example that you give with actual like whistleblowing and, and mm-hmm. boards is that the value of the company is what drives these things. It's paramount. It's not who's right or who's wrong. Sometimes, unfortunately, it's not even what the law says, right? Exactly. It's, yeah. No, no, you're exactly right. And that's why I find myself conflicted because I, I love the idea of loyalty. I think loyalty mm-hmm. is a really important thing. But in this case, the, the, the loyalty is misplaced all the way around. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and the and the values the value system is completely bizarre and up in the air. But I but I, I love the scene because it's a power I mean it's a very powerful scene about um, what it means to you know, at the end of the day, the CEO of that company, he, he knows what matters to him. He knows what he cares about. And mm-hmm. he, doesn't care, he doesn't care what it took to get there, right? That's a sad state of affairs, but it's a reality we see all the time. So, so let me ask you a question because I've, you know, I often see and, and, I, and I'm like a self-help book junkie and I love reading these business cases and stories about companies and their values and how they change everything. Like how... How important is it that companies communicate this very clearly so their employees know the landscape and how they should operate, right? I mean, you shouldn't be surprised when you walk into the board, or it'd be better not to be surprised, right? Like, I would rather know ahead of time, if I talk to the board and tell them this, I'm going to have a good result or a bad result. I don't want the rug pulled out from under me. How can companies do a better job at really kind of... I hate the word transparency, but you know what I mean? Like, like making it clear that this is what we value. If you work here, this is the train you're on. Mm-hmm. Well, I think what you're saying, I think that word you don't like, transparency, is key. Uh, but again, it comes down to something you said earlier around leadership, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it, it, staff leadership or, 
or, or you know, the, the folks that are somehow between a board of directors or a CEO and the rest of the, the, the working steps, you know, they, they have to be able to be communicating what matters and not just in words, but also in action. So, you know, the experience that young man had, um, he know, you know, he, in, in some ways he's going to communicate that out you know, whether he's gone off and told anybody what exactly happened or not isn't the case. It doesn't matter. What matters is that he's had an experience that is now defined for him what this company is really all about. Mm. Uh, and, and, and he's going to share that, right? And it is going to have an impact. Um, so, I, you know, I, I think transparency is a tough word. Um, but I also think that board members have a different um, experience of an organization Mm -hmm. obviously than a staff person would mm -hmm. and so mm -hmm. and so um, and and that experience is often translated to them through leadership so if the leadership uh is, is saying one thing but the, the employees are experiencing something else the board is never going to know that and if i go to them and say hey you know what you're hearing is not really what's happening mm -hmm. most board members are going to be loyal to the leader mm. Right? And, and in some ways, I'm okay with that, even though I'm not. Right, it's right. It's a very tough spot. Well, what's fascinating to, uh, about what you're saying right now is how the thing that happened to Pete creates a story. He's going to tell that story, right, to his close and trusted friends and maybe to others. And that's what creates the culture, right? So you, you can have a bunch of things up on the wall. To your point, people's experiences are what cause the culture. And the other thing I was wondering is maybe he should have known, right? Maybe this has been projected by leadership all along, but he, for some reason, was so busy trying to land accounts and do what he's doing. He didn't realize, hey, this is what my bosses are all about. Right. It's possible. It's possible. I, you know, and I think that's a good point is that, you know, in, in, uh, in the stories that happen or don't happen, so often culture just sort of appears because nobody is paying attention to it. So, so you know, Pete got a good lesson on what the culture actually is uh, at that ad agency. And, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I'm stuck a little bit, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> All I'm <really> right. Torn. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. These are tough issues, right? So, uh, you know, these are not gimmies. That's why we're having the conversation. So let's take a look at uh, one of my favorite movies that I love to share. And this scene has to do with feedback. Slidell, this is my associate, Bob Porter. Hi, Bob. Bob, go ahead and grab a seat and join us for a minute. You see, what we're actually trying to do here is we're just, we're trying to get a feel for how people spend their day at work. So if you would, would you walk us through a typical day for you? Yeah. Great. Well, I generally come in at least 15 minutes late. Uh, I use the side door. That way lumber can't see me. <laughs> and uh, after that, I just sort of space out for about an hour. Tell but, them space out yeah I just stare at my desk but it looks like I'm working I do that for uh, probably another hour after lunch too I'd say in a given week I probably only do about 15 minutes of real actual work uh, Peter would you be a good sport and indulge us and just tell us a little more oh yeah let me tell you something about TPS reports 
The thing is, Bob, it's not that I'm lazy. It's that I just don't care. Don't... don't care? It's a problem of motivation, all right? Now, if I work my ass off and Intertech ships a few extra units, I don't see another dime. So where's the motivation? Now, here's something else, Bob. I have eight different bosses right now. A big pardon? Eight bosses. Eight? Eight, Bob. So that means that when I make a mistake, I have eight different people coming by to tell me about it. That's my only real motivation, is not to be hassled. That and the fear of losing my job. But you know, Bob, that'll only make someone work just hard enough not to get fired. Would you bear with me for just a second, please? Okay. What if, and believe me, this is so <laughs> hypothetical. But what if you were offered some kind of a stock option equity sharing program? Would that do anything for you? I don't know, I guess. Listen, I'm going to go. Uh, it's been really nice talking to both of you guys. <laughs> Absolutely. The pleasure's all on this side of the table, trust me. Good luck with your layoffs, all right? I hope your firings go really well. Okay. Thanks a lot. Great. Yeah. Wow. So how did you feel about this clip? <laughs> <laughs> I, I loved it. I, I love this film. I, I love it so much. Uh, you know, um, I think the reason we relate to it is, um, is the kind of universality of the message. I, I read recently uh, that in Canada, it's 80% of, of the workforce is disengaged from their jobs. 80%. I think wow. It, yeah, I think in the U.S. it's 78%. You're slightly better than us. Um, and that of, the, of those 80% here, 70% um, of them blame their manager. And so while I was watching that clip, I'm thinking, uh, I'm thinking oh, wow, Bob has, has eight. Was it eight <laughs> managers? Yeah, that's right. Uh, yeah. And so, I mean, that, that whole scenario is so typical. It happens so often. And as a, as a consultant, I have been on the other side of that table asking those kinds of questions of staff um, and, and even, you know, bouncing ideas off, well, what if, you know, what if we did this? Um, and, and, and often, I mean, you, you write a report and it ends up in someone's end basket and, and maybe nothing ever happens as a result of it. But what I love about the scene is, like he was so honest, right? This mm -hmm. is what my day looks like, and <laughs> and we've and we've all had those days, right? They're like yeah. kind of sitting in the side door, and you make sure no one sees you, and then you sit there looking at your computer screen, going, "I just don't even know what to do. I don't know where to start." Right? I'm so overwhelmed with my day. <laughs> so I, I loved it because I think he's I think he's experiencing what so many people have. Yeah, absolutely. One of the things that I uh, would love to hear your input on that stuck out uh, with me was when he said he doesn't care. And <laughs> the interviewer was like, you don't care? Like, 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 it was like this shocking thing. Like, how can you not care? This is your job. You should, you should really care. I mean, can you speak a little bit to sort of that, maybe that disconnect between maybe assumptions or expectations versus, you know, what people actually live through. Yeah. Well, I think nobody's paying attention. I mean, I, I sort of, um, I, when you throw out that, that number that 80% of the workforce is mm -hmm. disengaged from their jobs and, and people kind of nod their heads when you say that to them, but, but then I think nobody's doing anything with that number. And, and that fellow has just told you he doesn't care. And the truth is, that most of his coworkers don't care either. That's Great the reality, point. right? That's the reality of the workforce. But but no one is paying attention. I don't, and I don't really understand why. It's why I do the work that I do. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, because at the end of the day, productivity matters. And if you're disengaged from the work, you're not producing at the level you could. You're probably producing well enough to not get fired, as he points out, mm-hmm. right? But you're not producing at capacity. So as, as organizations, as, as countries, right? As, as uh, you know, if you're in the social profit sector, as, as philanthropic organizations, we could be doing so much more if our workforces were engaged in their work. So uh, it's, a, it's a head shaker for me. Pay attention. We need to pay attention. What I find so fascinating about what you're saying is, and, and he touches upon this a little bit when you know, he says, I'll only work hard enough not to get fired, is I've actually heard people say, well, you know, managers say, well, you, know, you, you should do it because it's your job, right? We're paying you. This is what we're paying you to do. And to a certain extent, there's, there's some truth in that. But I think what's being missed there in that sort of thinking is a salary doesn't equal care, right? doesn't make people care about the job or want to go outside the very narrowly defined lines of, like he said, what's enough to get you fired. And to me, that kind of attitude is kind of doomed to failure. It actually creates a, a sense of disengagement because you're not giving people the opportunity to care when your perspective is just, well, I'm telling you what to do. You should love it. Right. I mean, who, who's going to respond well to that sort of um, framework? If yeah. you see what I mean. And it comes back to motivation, right? And there's lots been written on motivation. And, and years ago, we used to think that what motivated people was the carrot, right? Mm-hmm. You know, h- how much they were making and, and, you know, benefits and all of those kinds of things. And it does matter, but it matters far less to people than being uh, recognized, uh, seen in a job, right? Yep, List- yep. Listened to, right? Treated uh, with, with humanity, in fact. So because, because human beings are, by their very nature, intrinsically motivated. I mean, we, yeah. we are, right? But if you go into a place where, where you are um, not, and, and by recognition, I don't mean, you know, pat me on the back and tell me I did a good job. I mean, recognize what I bring to the table, right? See me for the value that I bring. And that, that hear me, don't necessarily do everything I think should be done, but hear what I have to say. Yeah. Those are such critical things. And, and that is way more motivating than, than, than a paycheck, which we have to have. We have to have a paycheck just like we need, you know, companies have to give them, but we, we need them, right? Those are, those are the basics of, of life. But the, yeah. other, the other things are what, what motivate me to do more than just my job. Huh. Well, you know, as you were talking, what, what, what came to mind is, it's almost like the fact that you're paying someone gets in the way, right? Like if we treated someone as if we weren't paying them at all, like as if they were a volunteer and what would, what would be the way you would want to treat a volunteer to really get them excited about what they're doing? Those are kind of actually the same thing you want to do for your employees. So the fact that you're paying them should not make any of those things go away. It's, it almost makes it worse. I mean, obviously I'm not saying let's not get paychecks anymore, (laughs) but I'm saying that that, I feel like sometimes that kind of gets in the way because we assume it gives us a certain power or credit that's above and beyond what, what it actually does get you as a, as an employer. Yeah, I know. I think that's bang on. And the, and the interesting thing I thought about that clip when he talked about, uh, you know, what if we did stock options or you owned a piece of the company or something along the lines of, you know, the truth is that does help people Mm -hmm. because they recognize that extra effort you know, does actually make a difference in the long run, right? Because they own a piece of whatever, everything that is happening in, organi- in an organization. 
But when I think about volunteer experiences, you know, you're brought in as a volunteer to an organization, as you have, have suggested, because of what you bring, right? Because mm -hmm. I need a, you know, maybe I need a treasurer and you're an accountant, right? So I value you. The relationship starts off with a value proposition that is different, right? Yes, yes, absolutely. Great, great point. Yeah, the valuing of the person is something that money cannot buy. Yeah. Great. Well, let's take a look at something I think anyone who's worked in corporate in America has experienced, the dreaded evaluation. <laughs> Nobi, come. Now that I think about it, I'm psyched to have Dr. Cox do my evaluation. It'll give me a chance to finally see what he truly thinks of me. Look, Doogie, I'm up to my cha-chas and busy work, so I'm going to go ahead and take a rain check on your report card. Just have you do it yourself. You didn't even fill out my name. Well, now, I think it's John or Jimmy or J or... Mm. Oh, gosh, it's in the J family. But if you get in trouble, just ask the nurses for help. I can't evaluate myself. Would you describe me as warm, professional, or both? I describe you as I'm on my lunch. I don't know whether to be easy or hard on myself. I mean, either way... Can't you see I'm watching my stories? Dr. Cox? Have you been here the whole time? No. I just came in through the couch door. Move. But I thought you said you were too busy to do my evaluation. I am. Um, didn't her daddy sell the coal mine? Contract didn't stick. Oh, that's interesting. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I uh, finished my evaluation. Oh, great. I thought it was going to take a little longer, so the marching band won't be here until this evening. Enjoy. I think you'll find it's a good read. Hey, Nubi, this thing actually does matter. So tell me, were you completely honest with yourself? Yeah. Say it right into the camera there, hotshot. Now, you can have this thing back anytime you want. You're going to have to bark like a dog, though. <laughs> I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to bark like it. It's your call. Woof. Oh, <laughs> I love Scrubs. What can we draw from this performance evaluation experience that uh, JD and uh, his manager, Dr. Cox, are going through? Uh, you know, what? I, I, they are both such great actors, and it may, I, I can't stop laughing through that whole thing. Because I think it, it's funny, he said he was too busy be, uh, to do the performance review because he, uh, he had busy work, is actually how he put it. And and what he was doing was being a doctor. So I, I have always believed, in fact, that performance reviews and the way that they are presented in that, in that clip are, are actually busy work. And a waste, of, a waste of my time, a waste of your time. Uh, they, they are, again, about checking a box, right? Mm. They, are, they are about covering ourselves in some way to say that, yes, we're, we're sitting down once a year or whatever your, your timeline is with each individual employee and you're having a meaningful conversation. But the truth is, it's very rarely that, right? So it's, it's very rarely that. So I thought that, I thought it was a beautiful piece because it, it really illustrated for me what, you know, I, I, I had 30 years of those kinds of experiences and I, so I, I loved it. So what do you think, in addition to maybe like the time constraints, right? Because obviously everyone's short on time. What do you think are some of the other factors that prevent 
managers, maybe well-intended managers as well, from doing a better job in providing robust performance management to their people? Well, I, I think it's because we try to do it in um, this annual kind of bucket or every mm. six-month kind of bucket rather rather than on an ongoing basis. So mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. I've always believed by the time you got to the, the dreaded performance review, mm -hmm. um, there was very little to say because I, you know, I, we, we've had enough conversation every day of working together. You, you get feedback, you give feedback. I understand as your manager what, what you'd like to see that you're not getting. You understand the same back as the employee. We, you know, we're, we're in this kind of together. So I think that's why, because it's not a continuous feedback loop, which is what it really should be. Yeah, and that's a great point. I mean, you need the continuous feedback. And I've heard plenty of stories where people didn't get any feedback. And when they finally did get the feedback at the appointed time, it yeah. felt more like an ambush, right? So yeah. even if it was well-intended feedback, the fact that you didn't get it for six months, a year, and now it's actually going to hurt your livelihood because you're getting it now when you could have fixed it like 11 months ago. I mean, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's, yeah. first, first of all, it's not good for the company because you were underperforming for 11 right. months. And second of all, it's not good for your motivation because you feel like you were somehow ambushed and it makes it hard for you to really feel loyal or, or want to do a better job if this is how you're going to find out about your yeah. performance. Yeah. And I, and I think not, I mean, to feel ambushed and then what ha what happens is let's say that the offending behavior happened in January, you have your review in June. What happens with the manager as well is that from January to June, they're looking for more uh, sort of uh, evidence that whatever behavior wasn't good in January has continued to happen, right? They're, they're kind of building a case in a way. Mm -hmm, it's mm -hmm. totally counterintuitive to a productive workplace. Yeah. Completely. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. All right. Let's take a look at our last clip. Uh, <laughs> it's, a, it's a comical take at a, at a very sensitive issue, uh, yeah. harassment. So let's take a look. So you've been telling everybody I'm sleeping with you, huh? No. Well, that explains it. That's why these people treat me like some dime store no, floozy. No, they think not. I'm screwing the boss. That's not it at all. Oh, and you just love it, don't you? It gives you some sort of cheap thrill, like knocking over pencils and picking sure, up Sure, now let's don't get excited. Get your scummy hands off of me. Look, I've been straight with you from the first day I got here, and I put up with all your pinching and staring and chasing me around the desk because I need this job, but this is the last straw. All right, now wait, let's, let's, let's just sit down. Look, I got a gun out there in my purse. And up to now, I've been forgiven and forgetting because of the way I was brought up. But I'll tell you one thing. If you ever say another word about me or make another indecent proposal, I'm going to get that gun of mine. And I'm going to change you from a rooster to a hen with one shot. Don't think I can't do it. So what are your thoughts here, Marianne? Well, you know what, Joe? I, I, I come from a household where, you know, I didn't even like my kids playing with water guns. That's how I feel about guns generally. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, you know, in this day and age, there's a, there's a lot of conversation about it. But in that scene, I, I, I loved everything about uh, how she expressed her anger to him about, uh, you know, what she had experienced at his hands. So literally at his hands. So, you know, I, I think this is a very common experience for lots of people in the workplace. It's not just happening to women. Um, and, and the experience is universal in some ways. Uh, you know, if you are not in, um, in, the, in the power group of any sort, right? So mm -hmm. 
Um, if, if you are in the place of privilege, uh, then you have the ability to, to uh, misuse that, that privilege and, and the power that comes along with it. So um, it is humorous about a, about a very uh, grave situation. Uh, but, but I think what, what is amazing about that and, and what most women love about Dolly Parton in that scene is that she, uh, she just uses her power. Uh, and she speaks speaks truth to power, and there's something really wonderful about that. Yeah, absolutely. And and to tie back to an earlier point you made, which I thought was so great. Sometimes there's this feeling, and and we've seen this, where if the person in privilege is the offender, they're essentially protected by. And I don't want to like come down on boards, but you know they're yeah. protected by the ones who could do something about it because they're delivering something else of value like Don Draper when in reality, um, you know, that behavior, um, it's so damaging because when it's tolerated, then people know they shouldn't complain about it because they will lose. And, and we've seen that in cases where all the people who complained about it are the ones who get fired and the executives still get their bonuses. So why would I stick my neck out uh, exactly. you know, to do that? Exactly. Yeah, it's it's a it's a sad it's a sad place to find yourself, um, and and then I think you know I'm hopeful. I guess I still feel hopeful um, about workplaces changing. I, I look to the fact that that um, I, I find people like you on LinkedIn who do the work that you do. Um, you know, I, I think I think the world is changing, maybe not as rapidly as we'd like, but uh, mm-hmm. the change it is a coming. <laughs> so let me ask you a question because you know you have a lot of experience working with these companies what is the difference between a company that's actually moving in the right direction versus maybe the companies you've come across and and you you do your best to try to service them but you know at the end of the day you realize they're probably not going to move the needle on this because they're not they're not there yet. Do you understand what I'm asking? I, I do completely. You know, it, it's going to sound like a bit of a, a pat answer, but I think at the end of the day, it comes down to leadership that is really committed to this and committed to um, paying attention to culture over the long term um, and, and for the betterment of every single person in their organization, right? Um, so it, if you have leaders who have big egos or who are, you know, only focused on the bottom line, uh, it's, it's, it's not going to work. And they're, they're going to have you in and, and you're going to do a little bit of this and a little bit of that and they'll check off the box. But the people that work there um, are, are not walking away. Um, they're not going home to their kids <laughs> or their families and saying that was a, you know, that was a banner day. Uh, and it was a banner day because I was, I was heard, I was appreciated, I was understood. Um, and I did really good work. That's what I want because, you know, we were put on we're put on this earth to understand what our purpose is and to express that purpose. Uh, and we spend most of our days and most of our weeks in a workplace. So that workplace really needs uh, to become something that where we can express our, our true humanity and do great work. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. And, you know, whenever you hear about transformational stories, a lot of it is, due to the leadership and sort of a shift at the leadership level. Um, and you can't really do it without leadership being on board, like you said, committed. Um, and that's not something that, you know, employees can change. It's maybe something the market might be able to change, but it's really up to the leadership to within themselves to be like, okay, this is the path we're going to take. 
Yeah. And, and it will, the market will drive that change eventually, right? Because mm. we want to, um, as consumers, we want to shop at Zappos because we've heard Zappos is a place that people love to work. And, mm. and those kinds of things, it will come because when, when there is choice, uh, we are going to choose the companies that are, are kind. Great. Well, Marianne, it's been a real treat to talk to you and hear about your expertise on workplace culture. What things are you working on or how can our audience get in touch with you to learn more? Uh, well, my, my, the best way to reach me is LinkedIn uh, and um, my website, themedalistgroup.ca. Um, and I'm, I'm happy to talk to anyone, anytime. One, one of the things I'm really enjoying these days is talking to other people who are uh, starting something new. So if I can be of service, please don't hesitate to contact me. And Joseph, thank you so much. What a great opportunity this was. Thank you, Marianne, for sharing your insights on why it works. Why is charisma so elusive? Why is it so hard to define? And why should the benefits of charisma be limited to those few who seem to have been born with it? Wouldn't it be great to be able to unlock your charisma to get the attention, access, and credit you deserve? I'm so excited to share with you, I've just released my first ebook, Unlock Your Charisma. Drawing on universal principles of connection, I reveal the hidden principles behind why charisma works. You can't get more of something if you don't know what it is. Unlock Your Charisma will show you how to be heard, be valued, and be chosen. Available on Apple Books and Amazon Kindle. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Why It Works. For more information about Joquan Joe Coaching, as well as access to my articles, videos, and podcasts, visit joquanjo.com. And stay tuned for our next Why It Works adventure.